Welcome back to another edition of the Making the Madness College Basketball Podcast. Uh, today on the show, we have Eli Betger uh, from Heat Check uh, CBB. It's a new website, I guess kind of a refurbished but improved website that Eli has been running for years. Eli, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Jonathan. I appreciate you having me on. I think wording them as refurbished, that's the word I've been looking for now for weeks because I, I did do some things back in 2016 and 2017 on the site, and it's nice to get back into the swing of things. So appreciate you having me on. Uh, no problem. Uh, first off, uh, kind of, I guess, tell what uh, Heat Check CBB is going to be about, uh, just as a whole for the listeners. Yeah, so this is my, I guess, independent platform to write about what I want to write about. I'm going to do a lot of research and analysis. Um, I guess one way, to, uh, one way to look at it would be kind of a, a version of maybe what 538 does with their uh, college basketball coverage, and they try to take a, an analytical approach and getting into some of the stats and numbers of college basketball that's that's what I like to look into and kind of converting back to what you see on the court so uh, I'm going to be trying to just do some different things uh, things that I have interest in and just hoping to entertain and inform as many people as possible so I'm excited about getting going with that yeah certainly excited to see what heat check CBB uh, kind of grows into I know you're big into the numbers uh Thus far, you've thrown out some uh, really interesting graphs, and it's kind of a unique way to approach college basketball as a whole. Uh, you're, I think, one of the uh, bigger numbers guys that we see in the sports, uh, and just in providing uh, numbers to go off of uh, that are useful. I'm more of like a eye test kind of guy. Like I like the numbers, but I'm not quite as deep into the numbers factor, but certainly enjoy all the numbers that you kind of put out on Twitter, uh, not only with your own Twitter handle, but now Heat Check CBB. Uh, so it's excited to see yeah, what it kind of yeah. becomes. It's, it's fun to kind of have that balance between like watching the game and having the eye test and then diving into the numbers and everyone has their own uh, taste, so to speak, so it's it's fun to try to tie back the numbers into what you see on the court, and, and you guys do it well, so I'll be trying to emulate that to a certain extent. Yeah, I'm certainly excited to see what it becomes. Uh, so now, getting uh, past kind of the introduction into uh, Heat Check CBB, getting it into uh, some actual college basketball games, and we're going to start with uh, Kansas Beating Baylor this weekend, uh, the Jayhawks now ranked number one in basically every single metric. Is Kansas, I think right now, the best team in the sport by a margin? Or is there someone else that can make that claim? Yeah, I would go with Kansas. I think at this point in the season with the, the win that they had against Baylor, and uh, although the final score doesn't really... I guess fully represent what Kansas did. They they controlled throughout the afternoon, I would say, and they, they put together a really solid performance. I think the Jayhawks really have what you need out of a team in March, and they have really solid guard play out of Devon Dotson, who who can create. And I really like guards who can create in the tournament, um, especially when plays break down and you need to have someone that can drive to the basket uh, and, and get two points for you. I think it's just 
so beneficial. And obviously the ability for them to just throw it down low to Azabuki and just let him go to work. And he's so powerful and just so challenging to defend, throwing a couple of good perimeter shooters and, and perimeter defenders. And I think that goes to show you why Kansas is the coveted number one overall seed at this point. And um, even when Baylor was dominating and, and they're still a fantastic team in their own right, I was still more leaning towards Kansas in terms of the team that I thought was the most complete in the country. Yeah, certainly the Jayhawks do look complete. They've got two excellent players in uh, Dotson and Azabuke. Uh, Marcus Garrett, I think, is, for my money, probably the best defender in the country, can kind of also create a little bit on offense. And you've seen Isaiah Moss and uh, Baji, Christian Brown, like all those guys can kind of make shots uh, on the wing. And when you have uh, two awesome players like Dotson and Azabuke who just are at the time of a game probably the best player on the court uh, at their position and you have a good collection of role players and a tough defense, that is a recipe that uh, will probably lead to uh, a deep run in the NCAA tournament. And right now they are uh, the title favorites and uh, looking really good when it comes to uh, making a deep run in the NCAA tournament this year. Yeah, I think the bracket shapes up nicely for what we can expect Kansas to get. Um, they'll, they'll be playing close to home. They will almost certainly get the number one overall seed. And I, I again, with the guard play on this team, I think it's so especially important. I know everyone talks about how it's important to have a, a good point guard in March, but I think the skill set is almost as important. And I think Dotson just brings that element of uh, being able to do it all and create his own baskets. And there are a lot of teams that are just unable to create and score in crunch time and I think Kansas definitely meets the bill. Yeah, and I think the one kind of thing if Kansas were to lose early it would be because you know a team just kind of zones them inside, but we've seen recently Isaiah Moss and Christian Brown kind of uh, step up and make shots when they've been needed to and that that's a kind of if those guys are going to make shots and Azabuke is just going to dominate inside, and we know what they do around the rim. Uh, there's really no beating this Kansas team because they're great defensively uh, and great inside and throw in three-point shooting, and you can't get much better than that. Yeah, and even beyond that, just looking at what they've accomplished this season, their three losses, Baylor, Duke, and Villanova, and those are all really capable teams and it's not like they've suffered a loss to a bad team or they've had a night where they were especially off so uh, again it, it would make perfect sense to me that this team enters the tournament as the consensus favorite yeah moving forward uh gonna get into uh some mountain west talk and get, start out with san diego state they've kind of struggled here late uh they lose to unlv obviously on saturday uh and then follow that up with kind of a clunker performance they find a way to win but they you know didn't win too convincingly against colorado state are you starting to get a little bit concerned about the aztecs this year or uh is this kind of a blip on the radar 
I would probably lean more towards it being a blip on the radar. I just think it's so challenging to be dominant every single night. And what Baylor has done, what Dayton has done, uh, what Gonzaga has done, minus their effort on Saturday, I think it kind of it changes our perspective on what some of these teams are up against on a nightly basis. Mountain West has never seen a team go undefeated in conference play, and I think a large part of that has to do with all the travel and the, the hostile arenas that they have to, to go and play in. But I, I guess to the contrary, the fact that these performances have come at home is a little surprising, uh, just to fall in at home to a UNLV team that has dropped several games but isn't one of the top-tier teams in the Mountain West. And I also look back to San Diego State's game in December against San Jose State where they were fortunate to have that Malachi Flynn three at the end of that game. So I think a large part of it has to do with the fact that, I mean, San Diego State started the season 26-0, and and that's incredibly difficult and challenging. And also the fact that, uh, I think this team will need to figure things out when the other team's hitting shots or, or when the shots aren't falling, and that's pretty much what happened on Saturday. I think that it was mostly an off night um, from the shooting field. And they almost came back, but uh, I guess it just wasn't meant to be. Yeah, and that was by far their worst performance of the season. They were have they'd had like I count them like three easy, you know, inside five feet shots that just all hit the rim and bounced out. If those drop, maybe we're still talking about San Diego State being 28-0 and and being a potential number one team in the country. Uh, just sometimes the ball doesn't bounce their way, and it certainly didn't against UNLV. I think the travel thing is a bit of a thing that you know could be a cause for concern uh, just because they have been you know traveling – to altitude with like teams like Air Force and Boise. The Mountain West is probably the toughest conference to play in just from a travel perspective because you're going to so many different environments, uh, whether it's a low altitude type environment in San Diego or uh, a Wyoming or an Air Force. Uh, that, that can kind of add up on you uh, as the season goes along, uh, especially in a league where I guess Colorado and San Diego are not necessarily all that close to each other. Yeah, I mean, travel is always going to be a huge part of the Mountain West Conference, and I think that's why you typically see this conference put up some of the stronger home winning percentages uh, in comparison to the other conferences. But I think that, again, speaks to what the Aztecs have accomplished this season to be able to grind out some of these wins or even pick up victories convincingly. I, I still had a feeling that they were going to drop a game or two before the selection Sunday, and now they do have that one, and we'll see what they do uh, here pretty soon in Vegas. But when the shots aren't falling like they were on Saturday, I think they'll need to find a way to create more points. It's not really a team that gets to the free throw line very much, um, so that'll be something to keep an eye on. Uh, in addition to having to likely go to the East Coast if they are able to hang on to that number one seed. Yeah, and, you know, for all intents and purposes, they could lose to uh, Utah State because the Aggies are playing well themselves. Let's say they lose in that conference tournament. They maybe find a way to stay at home, which could be a blessing in disguise if, let's say, Gonzaga gets upset early or 
something kind of fluky happens. Maybe they find a way to uh, not get Gonzaga in the uh, Elite Eight matchup, and they find a way to not only have a home court advantage, but uh, maybe an easier matchup to go to the uh, Final Four, which is obviously the ultimate goal for the San Diego State team this year. Yeah, that would, I mean, that would be a point in television if we had Gonzaga and San Diego State in the West region for a spot in the Final Four. I know that would be a, a, a pretty awesome atmosphere in there, but we'll see what happens. I think the fact that SDSU is in the position that they're even talking about whether they want the one or two seed is given the expectations that the Mountain West had around Utah State heading into the year. SDSU was more of a shadow in um, the amount of preseason hype that Utah State had. So it's been a fantastic season for them, and I'm, I'm curious to see how they wrap up these last few weeks heading into the tournament. Yeah, it'll be certainly interesting to see how they close out the season at Nevada this week and then obviously in the Mountain West tournament, which had to make the Jerome picks. I picked Utah State to win that one. Yeah, it's a good pick. I mean, they're playing a really good basketball right now. I, I wouldn't be too surprised. That's been kind of a, a challenging conference tournament in recent years. Yeah. Moving on here towards the Pac-12, uh, UCLA and Arizona State will match up on Thursday for first place in the Pac-12. Uh, my biggest, I guess, question is what does this all kind of mean towards the Pac-12? Does this just mean the league is – actually good this year or is it just a you know scheduling issue that eventually you know put Oregon in a position where they can kind of run away with the league or are Arizona State and UCLA two of the best teams in the Pac-12? Yeah it's it's been a weird year for the conference and it feels like we say that most years are the Pac-12 because either you have a really elite team, like uh, I think of the Lonzo Ball UCLA team or some of the Arizona teams in recent years, or you have a Pac-12 where uh, you have maybe two or three teams that are even in at-large consideration. And then you have this season where you have six or seven teams that are all within two games of the conference lead this late in the year, and uh, it's just really wide open. And now Arizona State sits atop the standings after – I mean, really not that much hype heading into conference play. Uh, and even a loss to Washington State and some other losses early in the year. I, I just think with the conference this season, it's it's been interesting to see how teams have either progressed or declined. And I remember watching Washington host UCLA at the start of the year, uh, or the start of January. And at that point, I think a large number of folks were expecting the Huskies to be in contention for that top spot in the Pac-12 and UCLA. They were fresh off losses to North Carolina and Cal State Fullerton, and things were just were pretty much going sideways. They had also lost to Hofstra, and UCLA picked up that road victory. They've pretty much been one of the better Pac-12 teams since. So I think this weekend is a really big opportunity for UCLA. They're playing both of the Arizona schools. They're able to pick up one or even both of those victories. I think that solidifies UCLA as, at the very least, a sleeper team in the Pac-12 tournament next month. Yeah, I think it's it might not even be all that big of a sleeper at this point because UCLA has won five straight games, 
and dating back, they've won nine of their last 11. That's impressive statistic uh, and kind of shows what the what type of job Mick Cronin has done this year. Uh, not only getting his team to buy in, but making adjustments, throwing Chris Smith at the four uh, has really helped this UCLA team improve. As for Arizona State, coming off that loss to Washington State, uh, this Arizona State Sun Devils team, you know, at that moment was not even close to resembling a tournament team. Now they've won seven straight, and with the rest of the league, the Colorados, the Oregons of the world, kind of struggling a little bit, would say, just losing random games here and there, all of a sudden we're looking at a uh, unorthodox first-place matchup uh, in the league, which should certainly be interesting. Uh, I'm taking Arizona State to go on the road and pick up the win. I just think they have the best player on the court, and push comes to shove, I trust Remy Martin to come away with uh, the plays late in the game to uh, give you or uh, Arizona State to win. Who's your pick for this game? Yeah, I'll, I'll go with you on this one. I think I'll lean with Arizona State. Um, UCLA has been playing really good basketball of late, as you mentioned, but I think I still trust Arizona State a bit more. Uh, I, I do like their guard play quite a bit. Remy Martin's a stud, and Alonzo Verge has, has come on and been terrific since he blew up in that St. Mary's game. So, yeah, I'll go with ASU on this one. But, uh, again, both of these teams have really positioned themselves nicely for uh, the Pac-12 tournament next month. And the next kind of semi-question, who ends up winning the Pac-12 this year? Uh, if Arizona State is able to pick up this win, they would have a one-game lead with three games left. Do you think it's Arizona State's to lose, or does someone else uh, find a way to win the league? Man, that's tough. I think it's it's hard to envision now that Arizona State is probably going to be the lead dog if they're able to defeat UCLA, but they finish up with USC on the road, very winnable game, and then both of the Washington schools at home, which are pretty much as two of the gimme-type wins that you could get, so I'll probably go with Arizona State, and that's surprising given that Oregon and Colorado are, are the teams that have been given the most pub this year in addition to Arizona, but uh, with the way that standings and the rest of the schedule shakes out, I think I'll probably go Arizona State. Yeah, which is beyond incredible given kind of how the season was looking. Uh, they lose by to St. Mary's by 40. Uh, Alonzo Verge did have 43, so at least they had that going for them, but now all of a sudden... They're sitting here, sitting pretty with a chance to win the Pac-12 regular season title, which would be an amazing accomplishment for Bobby Hurley at Arizona State. Uh, Next thing, we're going to go into uh, Rutgers basketball. They've kind of been sliding here down the stretch. Do you think they find a way to win one of their last three games and make the NCAA tournament, or are they just going to completely choke away an NCAA tournament bid and miss out on the NCAA tournament altogether? Well, the remaining schedule is really tough. You have to go on the road to play Penn State and then host Maryland and then go on the road to a Purdue team that has been struggling, but I mean, winning in West Lafayette's always going to be a challenge. I I think I'll lean more at the latter. I just don't really have as much confidence in Rutgers as I did, say, a month ago. Uh, they struggled to shoot the ball and I just don't really have as much trust in this team. 
and just the overall competitiveness of the Big Ten. Uh, they, it's shown, I guess, some blemishes here down the stretch, and they just don't really seem like the same team that they were a handful of weeks ago. Yeah, that Big Ten has kind of gotten to them, I think, uh, just with the overall physicality on the night-in, night-out basis, uh, and not really having a potential for break with two of the games being Nebraska and Northwestern uh, and only needing having to play those te- two teams twice uh, in the main part of the schedule has certainly uh, not been help for, helpful for Rutgers as the seasons progress. I think that at some point they are going to find a way to win one more game down the st- stretch here whether it be uh, tonight at Penn State or at Purdue next week or maybe even Maryland at home, I think they find a way to win one more game and get into the NCAA tournament, but certainly I am not all too confident in that statement at this point in time. Yeah, they're they're fortunate to have some of the earlier wins on their schedule. I had them lined up as, I believe, a nine seed in my most recent bracketology and a lot of that has to do with the fact that they have those wins over Seton Hall and Penn State and Indiana and those teams. But uh, I think the the huge issue here for them is their inability to win on the road. They have one win since the calendar turned to 2020, and that was on January 3rd against Nebraska. And I think, at least from my perspective, when I see teams that have poor road records, Usually that's a sign for me that they either have a lack of maybe experience or they're just unable to be consistent. And I think both of those cases can be true with this year's Rutgers team. It's a program that hasn't been good in a long time and they start off hot and then others kind of cooled off. So um, for their case, I, I think that they do need to probably win at least one more game just to feel really confident about the at-large chances. But it really shouldn't have gotten to be at this point, uh, given that they they were standing here at seven and three in, in league play to start things off. Yeah, certainly not a good recent stretch. Although, given most of those games were on the road, uh, and the road struggles have obviously been pointed out, a lot of their road games they've had a chance to win when it comes down the stretch of the games, and they just haven't put it away. I think that probably has more to do with the experience factor uh, and less to do with maybe uh, the team not being all that good. Uh, Just late in games, they have not found ways to close out, you know, these type of games at Iowa, at Maryland, or at Ohio State even. I think if they could, you know, find a way to just pick up one of those wins at any point this season, we're looking here and Rutgers is comfortably in the NCAA tournament but here we are and we're talking about them potentially uh, blowing a perfect scenario to get into the big dance yeah I think another game that was fascinating to me is their their overtime win against Northwestern when they trailed by I, I think almost either like 18 or 20 points they had to come all the way back against a really poor Northwestern team and we're fortunate to just pick up that win. That would have really hurt their resume. Um, and I think if they're able to even get a, a win in the Big Ten tournament, just a single victory on a neutral site floor, I think that could be uh, some momentum for them and, and kind of encourage them to to have the ability to win away from um, 
they're on they're on home floor. So we'll see what happens with that. Yeah. Although if you asked any Rutgers fan before the season, you you're eighteen and ten and in a position where you need to win one of your last three games to make the NCAA tournament. Any Rutgers fan before the season takes that one hundred times out of a hundred. Oh, you bet, you bet, and I think it's I think back to DePaul quite a bit because of how they played in November and December, and they kind of feel like similar teams, those power conference teams that haven't really been to the NCAA tournament of late and have had their struggles, and for Rutgers at least they've been able to hold their own for longer than DePaul, which has kind of fallen apart, but. Yeah, I think Rutgers fans will take this uh, 100 times out of 100, like you said. Yeah, DePaul certainly would take their uh, first month of the season, uh, but since now they're 14 and 14 on the season and yeah. went from only needing maybe like seven Big East wins to make the NCAA tournament to having two wins at this point in time, certainly Rutgers is the better one of the two programs this year. Yeah, no doubt. Moving on, going to get into uh, a couple. Uh, which teams do you trust more? Uh, the first one, Auburn against Louisville. Uh, right now, both teams I have projected as four seeds in the NCAA tournament, so they're kind of in that similar seed range. Which team do you trust more, though, to make a potential deep run in March? Is it Auburn or is it Louisville? Man, that's tough. I think, and I think I would probably choose C here and choose neither of them because I, I really don't have a lot of trust in either of these teams, and I think it's uh, partly for the same reason, and they also have some differences here. But I think with Auburn, they've had so many close calls this year, and I feel like they're pretty fortunate to have the record that they have. And I mean, twenty-four and four in the SEC, it looks fantastic, or at least from an SEC team. That looks great, and it is, but they've had some really close calls, games that they've had to come back. They have five wins in overtime, um, most of them against inferior opponents, and I just don't know if I can trust their consistency so much. They don't shoot the ball very well either, um, and that's why I'll, I'll go with Louisville on this. Uh, I do trust the Cardinals a bit more, um, but even with them as well, they've had issues with consistency, I think when Jordan Nora doesn't play well, they really struggle. And especially now losing three of five, he hasn't played particularly well in those games um, and all on the road. So I'll give the edge to Louisville, but these are both teams that will probably enter the tournament as either probably a three or four seed, and I just don't know if I have that much confidence that they'll escape the first weekend. Yeah, I, I would probably throw Louisville into that category. The thing with Louisville is their best player, if Jordan Nora shows up on a consistent basis, uh, which who knows if he will, I think they're more fit to make a deep run in the NCAA tournament because Nora, at his, when he's on, is a top 10 player in the sport, whereas Auburn really doesn't have a player at that caliber. You know, Isaac Okoro is probably their best player. He's a good NBA prospect and will certainly be better long run. But for now, I'd trust Jordan Nora uh, just to be able to kind of make plays late in the game. And, you know, their team is a little bit deeper as well, uh, just more guys off the bench. You never know what you're going to get out of David Johnson either. Maybe he breaks through in the NCAA tournament. 
I don't really trust the Louisville to make a deep run, but of the two teams, I would also uh, pick Louisville to make a deep run in March. Yeah, I think, as you mentioned, just Nora is just so important to their success. I think when he shines, Louisville looks like a legit Final Four contender, and when he struggles or he's in foul trouble, uh, this team has some serious issues, as they did when they lost to Georgia Tech and Clemson. I think going back to Auburn, it's just, it's pretty fascinating to have a team that has only lost four games all year and they really don't have a, just a huge household name. I know we've kind of discussed SEC Player of the Year awards and things like that, but Auburn just feels more of a team that has a bunch of really solid individuals, but maybe they don't have that star that you need to have in March. And I know that was that was probably somewhat the case last year and they were able to, to make the most of it then, but I just don't know if I have so much trust in them this time around. Yeah, certainly. The next uh, team going to get into in terms of trusting Kentucky or Maryland. Do you trust uh, the Wildcats with more a better coach, obviously, and maybe a little bit more talent, but not quite as good as a team right now on the season? Or do you trust Maryland, who I think has a better overall team and certainly the best player on the court? Yeah, I'm going to go with Maryland on this one. And I think it's in large part due to the fact that, unlike the teams that we had mentioned previously, I think Maryland has been really consistent this year. Um, when they when they have lost, they've usually performed pretty well, and they um, just happen to come up short. They have shown the ability to close out games, as they did against Michigan State. I thought that was a huge statement for them. And I just really like their point guard center duo as, as they have, or if you want to call Jalen Smith a forward, but pairing up with Callen, it kind of reminds me of what Kansas is doing uh, with Donson and Anzabuki, and I think that when you have a guy that can run the floor and run the offense and also have an option down low, um, although Smith can uh, hit from outside, I think having those two um, just spearhead your offense, I think is especially important for March, so I'll go with Maryland on this one. Yeah, I'm also going to go with Maryland. I will go with Kentucky with more of a, like I think Kentucky is a safer bet to make the Sweet 16, but I think once Kentucky gets to the Sweet 16 or Elite 8 rounds, they'll probably bow out to a decent, or once they start facing one or two seeds, I think they bow out. As for Maryland, I think they have potential to get upset because we've seen time and time this year, they get down early and just have uh, Anthony Cowan or Jalen Smith bail them out, hitting big threes late in games uh, to win games. I trust Maryland, though, to make a deeper run in March, make it a Final Four run, or certainly win the national championship. I would trust Maryland a little bit more. Just they, they have two players that would be the best player on, in Kentucky this year in Cowan and Jalen Smith. Uh, so the talent, even with Mark Turgeon as the coach, I'll go with Maryland to make a deep run. Yeah, I, I will say that I think the key for Maryland's success as the uh, rest of the season progresses and, and they'll be having questions about whether Turgeon can win in March and things like that. And I understand a large part of that is justified. But I, I also think that they need to have someone besides Cowan and Smith step up, whether it be 
Aaron Wiggins or Eric Ayala or Daryl Morsell, who's shown great strides. I think one of those three needs to really step up because this team lacks depth, and they can't always rely on Smith or Cowan to build them out, as you said. Um, it can work against teams like Nebraska or Northwestern, but when you're going up against a team that's seated first or second, they're there for a reason. And uh, if if those three, are, if they're having an off night and it's all coming down to Cowan or Smith, uh, I'll probably lean with the other team because I just think that you need to have production from more than two players regardless of how good those two players are. And um, I think one of those three, if they step up and, and they're putting up big numbers in the tournament, I think that Maryland will uh, certainly have a chance of reaching the Final Four. Yeah, certainly. Uh, depends what the matchups are, but certainly Anthony Cow and Jalen Smith, both those players can go out and get a win anytime you need. Last one, West Virginia uh, against Florida. Florida has been playing much worse throughout the season, but has, I guess, been decent in SEC play, I want to say. Uh, do you trust them to make a deep run or a West Virginia team that can't seem to buy a shot right now? Yeah, I, I think I'll go with Florida, and that's a team that has struggled and they haven't lived up to their preseason hype at all, but uh, we know how talented they are. That's a reason that they were probably a preseason top-five team in, in, for most publications, and I still really like the individuals on this roster, and I think that they usually position themselves where they enter the tournament as a team that can be, you know, one of those like sneaky contenders of reaching the second weekend. I'm not saying that that will be the case this year, but uh, when you look at a team like West Virginia, who, as you mentioned, can't buy a shot, I mean, they're just such a poor shooting team. And, I mean, you can defend fantastic for 40 minutes, but if you can't get a shot, then uh, it's usually one of those first to 50 or first to 55 games. And I just don't know how often West Virginia is going to be able to, to win those types of games. So, I'll go with Florida. I, I trust their individuals on their roster. Uh, Kerry Blackshear has been really good, and um, I mean, they have solid players on that team. So, yeah, I'll go with the Gators. Yeah, I, I don't really trust Florida to make a deep run, especially given that they'll probably be seated around the 7 or, or 8 range or maybe even 9 seed uh, in the NCAA tournament, which usually means second-round loss at best. Uh, so I don't really trust Florida to make a deep run, but I also don't trust West Virginia, a team that right now just kind of their offenses have Miles McBride chuck up contested jumpers and just have Shibwe and Culver go rebound and put it back for a rebound. Uh, so I trust Florida, if their guards maybe make shots, they can pull off an upset. I don't really trust either team uh, to win more than a game in the NCAA tournament. But if I had to trust one to make a Final Four run, I'd say Florida's probably the safe pick here. Yeah, I think with West Virginia, the way that they wrapped up their game against Kansas the other night, I just being unable to really muster anything on offense or turn the ball over, just putting up poor shots, that was concerning to me because playing against a team that has a top-level defense, you just cannot finish out games that way. And if the if they draw a matchup against a 12 or 13 seed that can really score the basketball, maybe like a, like a Northern Iowa or North Texas or someone like that, I think that immediately puts West Virginia um, on potential upset alert. Certainly. 
Uh, the next question I have for you is, is Creighton a legitimate Final Four uh, national championship contender this year? Uh, they're playing out of their minds right now and are in position to win the Big East regular season title so long as they take care of business and beat Seton Hall on the last day of the season, which they've already done this year. Do you think Creighton is a legitimate national title contender, or do you see them more as maybe being a Final Four, uh, lead Eight level team? Yeah, I would say that they're max. If I had to guess, I would I would say that they would max out as probably an Elite Eight team. I think their offense is just fantastic, and they can really score the basketball and shoot from the perimeter. They always have at least two or three guys that can hit from deep at, on, on the court at once, but they just they lack some sort of like defensive physicality. Uh, they really don't have much height down low. And I, I worry about them going up against a team that is really advanced offensively or they have a big guy, um, I guess, as we mentioned before, and, and Smith or Azabuki, a player like that, I think, could pose some concerns for Creighton. So I think that if their defense can step it up and their offense plays as it has been, I think that they can get to the Elite Eight or maybe even to the Final Four, but I'm just not entirely convinced that their defense will be up to the task against the top three or top four seed. Yeah, I think at some point if they get matched up against, you said, Nazabuke, Jalen Smith, or someone like that, uh, that's when you'd probably see Creighton you know, probably bow out. It depends, of course, what the matchups are because – you know, if you don't go up against Nazabuke or Jalen Smith or someone in a similar category of great big, if you don't see one of those teams in the NCAA tournament, I certainly think Florida or Creighton would be a team that can make a run and uh, potentially to the Final Four or something like that. Uh, but it'll just be kind of dependent on matchups and whether or not they can just outshoot other teams because that is kind of the one thing advantage they have is you can just have Tyshawn Alexander, Marcus Zagorowski, Mitch Ballack all drain seven three-pointers each in a game, and you're sitting there on defense feeling hopeless uh, with those guys doing that. Uh, we'll certainly see kind of as the bracket gets revealed how deep this Creighton team can go, but if the matchups are right, I do think this is a team that could potentially – uh, make a Final Four run this year. Yeah, I think that it is very dependent on what the matchups are, as you mentioned. Because if they do face off against a team that either struggles offensively or doesn't have a big presence, um, I think that the, the advantage definitely leans in their favor. And having such great shooters on their roster, it will almost entirely guarantee that Creighton will be at least competitive in any game that they play, and they'll have enough shots to fall. But I think it will all come down to whether they can get stops down the stretch or not. Yeah, I think Dayton and Creighton are the two teams that if they can avoid a, you know, outstanding big man that, you know, can make Obi Toppin work a little bit on the defensive end, I think if those two teams avoid a dominant big man, both those teams can certainly cut down the nets in April. Uh, but it would be hard to avoid that for six straight games this year. Yeah, I'd be really intrigued. I'm sure of how the bracket will land, but a second-round game between 
Creighton and BYU, I think, would be especially fascinating with how those teams are able to shoot the ball and score. And it would definitely test Creighton with how they would um, defend Yoli Childs down low for BYU. So if we could root for any matchup, I would definitely be down for that one in the round of 32. I think that would be pretty fun. That, that matchup would be first uh, uh, 120. First 120 wins that game. <laughs> that would be good. They're like the, uh, I think it was a Michigan-Oklahoma State game in recent years or something like that. But, yeah, that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, certainly that would be a fun matchup. The next and final thing going to get into is some bubble deathmatch. Uh, going to give you two teams. You tell me which team's resume you like better. Uh, which team gets into the NCAA tournament, which team doesn't. Uh, we're going to start it off Utah State against NC State. Uh, NC State certainly has the better wins at this point in the season, uh, but also some questionable losses like the one to North Carolina last night. Uh, I'm going to take Utah State right now at, in terms of a resume perspective, uh, just being solid. They only have one Quadrant three loss, a bit more consistent and a better record. So I'm going to go with Utah State in that one. But curious to see who you would take in that matchup. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I think I'll lean with NC State right now. I do have NC State above Utah State in my current um, projected field. And it is because of those victories that they have. The Duke and Wisconsin wins are obviously big for them. Their road record isn't awful. Uh, they're five and six on the road, and, and that compares pretty nicely against teams like, say, Rutgers, who's really struggled on the road, and some other bubble teams. I think with Utah State, their biggest benefit right now is that the, they are favored in a lot of the metrics. They have one of the better metrics averages of teams that are on the bubble. But I think it'll go with NC State, um, mostly due to the fact that they do have a couple more quality victories. Yeah, certainly, and. Utah State is 22 spots ahead of NC State in the net. We could see a scenario where maybe the committee just says this team is 22 spots higher in the net, they get in, and NC State doesn't. I currently have both teams projected in my field, though, so uh, as I think you do as well. So I'd say both yeah, I, teams. Yeah, I do get, have them both in. <laughs> both teams get in, but. Utah State, for me, gets the higher seed right now. Uh, the next one is kind of a fascinating matchup because both these teams kind of have similar resumes. Rhode Island and Wichita State. I'll go with Wichita State just a slight lean. They have one more quadrant, one win, and no bad losses, whereas Rhode Island has a quad three loss and only one quadrant one win. Uh so I'm going to go with Wichita State, but both these resumes are kind of close right now. Yeah, when I was working on my most recent bracket, I did have these two lined up for quite a while, uh, especially around all those bubble teams. And as you mentioned, they are very similar. They have similar metrics averages. They kind of lack a quality win, both of those teams do. Uh, but I do think the advantage here is with Wichita State. Rhode Island does have that awful loss to Brown, which I think could, could hurt them going forward. Um, I do have them both in the projected field, and I would largely imagine that both stay in the projected field. I, I think I'm a bit more nervous about Rhode Island, but um, I will give the edge to Wichita State right now. But I, I do think that they could use another quality win on their resume. Certainly. 
This next matchup is a bit more uh, taking place between two teams that are a bit closer to the bubble. This is uh, Providence and Stanford. Stanford's a team that doesn't really have a lot of quality wins thus far this season. They rate well in the metrics like the net. Uh, the strength of schedules, obviously not great. Uh, and their opponent is Providence, who has four terrible losses at the beginning of the year, uh, but does have seven Quadrant 1 wins right now. I would take Providence, just the amount of Quadrant 1 wins is just a major factor, I think would help them in the NCAA tournament, uh, seeding-wise, but certainly a close matchup between these two teams. Yeah, I'll go with Providence as well, and I think I'm higher on the Friars' seeding placement than I think a number of others. I'll definitely go back and check and see what folks are doing on Bracket Matrix, but having seven Quadrant 1 victories and being able to win four of those on the road, I think is that shows the committee that this team is legit, and also, even though they do have four losses against Quadrant 3 or four opponents, each of those four losses came in November, and the committee does look at the full body of work, and they, they preach that, but this team isn't even remotely the same team that they were in November in terms of how well they're playing, and I think the committee has to realize that. So uh, assuming that nothing crazy happens between now and Selection Sunday with Providence, meaning that they don't drop any games to really poor opponents or they go on a long losing streak, I think Providence gets in, um, and they could even max out as maybe a nine seed just due to the fact that they have all these wins and have shown that they're able to win on the road. Yeah, certainly Province is kind of a team. They, they've they been in that scenario where I think it was two years ago they had three Quadrant three losses uh, going into the NCAA tournament. They are one of those teams that struggles against kind of lower competition but can certainly compete with the big boys, which I think is something that the committee – would rather have uh, if they're only selecting a team like Stanford or a team like Providence this year. It seems like with Providence every year, and I, I like to joke about this with having the, you know, your annual bubble teams. You have Providence, you usually have Syracuse, probably a USC, and then a mid-major. It seems like Providence always sets themselves up this way. They have at least a game or two that they drop in non-conference play against a low-level opponent. And then they're able to stack good wins in the Big East play to, to come and sneak back up into the bubble conversation. And that's what's happening again this season. But I think that they have enough quality wins in the tank now to get the job done. Yeah, certainly. Uh, the next two, uh, both these teams I currently have out of my projected field. But both are kind of knocking on the door. It's UNC Greensboro and it is UCLA. Uh, I currently have UNC Greensboro. They rate a little bit better in the strength of record uh, rankings that I've seen. Uh, and a 21-6 record is obviously impressive. Not as many Quadrant 1 wins, but I think they the committee might go with UNC Greensboro over UCLA. Yeah, I think if these two were matched up against one another for the final bid, I think that they would probably go with UCLA if I had to guess. Um, I, I do have both of these teams out right now. I'm a little concerned with their net rankings. I think that's especially important for some of these bubble teams. And the committee doesn't use 
the net ranking itself to like determine who's in and out. I guess as I mentioned, more of a sorting tool. But when it is more in that seventy or low sixties range, I think that is a cause for concern. UCLA does have quality wins at this point, three wins against the net top twenty, but. I think that they'll have to continue to win and, and get that net ranking at least into the 60s to be considered. I, I don't know off the top of my head the lowest RPI or net to make the field, but uh, I, I think UCLA would definitely be in the conversation if they don't um, if they aren't able to make a bit of an improvement there. But fascinating resumes because mid-major team with with solid numbers, I would say, uh, but really doesn't have that major win and also the UCLA team that struggled early has some poor losses but is now trying to back towards way into the field so those are two teams that I, I'm really keeping my eye out on yeah I think the lowest I remember is last year with St. John's I think they were ranked 72 in the net so if they can get to the 60s uh, talking about UCLA I think at that point they would be more seriously considered and maybe even a tournament team if they can pick up the quality wins the remainder of the season they'll have an opportunity to do that but for now i'll go with unc greensboro to make the ncaa tournament and the final i also think with ucla if they're oh uh, i just think with ucla with the the opportunities this weekend as well and if they're able to beat either arizona state or arizona that could really bring the Bruins up into that bubble conversation. Yeah, that would be a six-quadrant-one win on the season, uh, which is about the number you kind of need if you're a bubble team with a low net ranking. Uh, So we'll see if they can pick up one of those wins and move into the NCAA tournament picture at this point. But for now, I would say UNC Greensboro gets the slight nod. Final matchup is... Purdue against VCU. Neither of these teams are currently projected in my field. Shaka Smart knows uh, who I'm picking, but curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, it's it's a bizarre matchup. Two teams that I honestly had decently high expectations heading the year. I really liked VCU, and I thought Purdue wasn't going to take this big of a drop. I think with the Boilers, first off, I mean that overall win loss record, I think is above all else the the biggest concern having an even record at this point in the year I don't know if they can afford to even lose another game the rest of the season that would bring them to 15 which I believe is the most losses of an at-large team so even with all the the wins that they have and they do have good metrics averages I think Purdue I mean at the very least needs to get to the Big Ten final to have a chance and with VCU going one and seven against Q1 opponents and not really having that signature win and also, I mean, dropping some poor games, not having great metrics averages. If I had to choose, I would think both of these teams are in that auto bid or bust situation. I just can't really envision them being able to make it into the field um, while still losing another game. Yeah, I think Purdue, if they can win, like, let's say, if they get to 19 and 15, win their next five and lose... I think it would be Big Ten quarterfinals or Big Ten semifinals, something to that extent. I think at that point you can maybe seriously consider Purdue, uh, but for now, 14-14 on the season, uh, I don't even think that 
record warrants even a slight bit of consideration, nonetheless even being put in the NCAA tournament. So I'll go with VCU uh, for now. But Purdue, I guess, can, if they win their next five games, which is way easier said than done, Purdue can get into the NCAA tournament mix. Do I think they will do that? Absolutely not. Yeah, it's just been kind of an inconsistent team, and you know, we were talking for so long about how dominant they've been at home, and now they've shown just several blemishes at home, and they've been um, far less dominant. So, I, I think getting in to maybe like a nineteen to fifteen record, as you mentioned, I don't think eighteen and sixteen would do it. But if they're able to get anywhere near a nineteen to fifteen record, then maybe you have enough weight on that resume to get the job done. But uh, they've really backed themselves into a corner now with that win-loss record, even though that they, they rank well on Ken Palm and Met and, and do have those quality wins. Yeah, certainly. Uh, any last words before we sign off here? Yeah, I mean, I just think that um, it's a really fascinating season in college basketball after um, last year you have some of these dominant teams and great players like Zion Williamson. This has been more of a balanced season, and you do see these non-power conference teams like Gonzaga and, and um, San Diego State and Dayton rise up. I think it's a big opportunity for those types of programs, so I'm curious how they wrap up the rest of their seasons, and um, it will definitely be a great time next month seeing how this whole thing unfolds. Yeah, certainly excited to see how not only the regular season wraps up, uh, conference championship week, as always, should be really good. Plenty of storylines when it comes to the bubble discussion, the one seed discussion. Uh, we'll all be exhausted by the time selection Sunday <laughs> comes around, and then we'll be ready to fill out 200 brackets uh, or more uh, when it comes NCAA tournament time. You bet. It's always a great time of year. Yeah. Uh, Eli, thanks again for joining the podcast. Where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Becker underscore Eli. That's B-O-E-T-T-G-E-R underscore E-L-I. And my work, as, as you mentioned um, earlier, it will be on heatcheckcbb.com. Uh, I'll be doing lots of stuff between now and the end of the tournament, so I'm excited about that. Thanks again for coming on to the show, Eli. It was a blast. Uh, had plenty of good discussion and uh, look forward to uh, interacting with you throughout the rest of the season. You bet. Thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you.